passing it up today. So uh, yeah, here we go. Okay. You know, when I first came to Lake Sam, um, I would hear, uh, do you go to F FPU? Have you gone to FPU? And you know, since I have a hearing problem, I thought they said SPU. And I said, yeah, I've been to SPU. I graduated from there. Oh, that's great. And they'd say, you know, FPU. And then they said FPU. And I thought, oh, that's got to be like Florida Peninsula University. Because right? I didn't know what FPU was. So I, I think it's a great thing. And um, Maureen and I are, you know, even though we're older, older, uh, we're thinking about going because, uh, you know, you can never, you never graduate from servanthood, number one, and you should never quit learning, number two. So everybody had a great time at the, uh, at the all-city service, right? Wasn't that great? And what, how many people were there? I think the press said there was 100. <laughs> it's like four or 5,000, wasn't there? It, it was phenomenal. The message was, the message was phenomenal. The worship was phenomenal. Uh, the, I thought the sound people did a great job. And um, to come together in a place like that, and those of you that are from Bellevue for a long time, you know that that place used to be where Lake Hills Roller Rink was at one time. And to have that used for God's purposes now is such a cool thing because I used to hang out there as a kid. And just to see what God has done in our city, in our area, is fantastic. Let's give him a clap offering for that, shall we? Because of his goodness. Yeah. Francis Chan's word was a bit difficult for me. And what I mean by that is it was very, very challenging to me to hear about what, if, you, um, if you build your house on a rock, you know, and do as, as, as according to my word, this is what will happen to you. If you build it on sand, then it's going to fall apart. And it was really challenging to me. And when Kurt asked me to speak, um, I, I had this message in my heart about Jesus being in us and Jesus being on us so that we can share it. Because it's not, it's not enough to be saved, it is enough to have Jesus in us. But to serve in the world as he has called us to do, he needs to be upon us so we can give him out. So this morning, I'm not ratcheting down, I'm trying to personalize a little bit with what Francis Chan had to say about this and bring it to the point of, where we, we, we get a little bit introspective. And I, I, just can't, I, I just can't tell you how wonderful it was to have Pam and the team and, and Adam do that during the worship time. It, I think it set the atmosphere for what the Lord is going to say to us today. So John Batterman, you're going to pray. Uh, if you would be so kind as to do that. Um, I won't tell all the great things about you except I love ministering with you at Easter time. John, lift up another church and pray for the service, please. And John, would you also remember the firefighters? Thank you. Father God, we are so privileged to be here, just to have the opportunity to gather freely and to worship you and to seek to know you more. And Father, we are people of mixed minds and closed-up ears, and it's so hard at times to hear you and to see you. And we ask you, Father, to come into our midst mm -hmm. to speak to us your word. Lord, we pray an anointing on Greg to speak the things that you would have us to hear. Father, help us to open our hearts to not only receive your word, but to do something with it, Father. We want so desperately to be closer to you, Father, yes, to know you more, to be used by you. So we ask, Father, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would help us to take that word in, to let it go deep and to change our hearts for you, Father. 
Lord, we do just uh, lift up all of those who are battling the, the wildfires in Washington and across the Northwest. We pray your protection, Father. We pray your peace and your comfort to those who have lost loved ones, those many, Lord, who have lost everything that they own. Father, help us to yeah, find Lord. a way to be part of giving out of, out of what we have to yes. bless them. And um, Father, we just pray for Kurt and Julie as they're away, Father, that you would lift them up, encourage them, strengthen them. And uh, Lord, I would just pray for the church in Belarus, thinking about mm. our friend Dave today. And Father, we just know that you are mightier than all the forces of evil that would come against our, our brothers and sisters there, Father. And we just stand with them in prayer and ask your blessing and anointing on them today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been so long since I preached. Which one of these things do I touch? I can't remember. Anybody know? Going once. Do I hear $5 to help me out? Do I hear 10 Try it again. We'll try it again. Switch on the left side, okay. So red is off. Yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. So, uh, geez, yeah, you can tell I'm an educator, can't you? I don't know anything about technology. <laughs> Je <laughs> Jesus in you and on you. Jesus in me and on me. Just close your eyes for a minute. We're not going to do visualization or anything like that, okay? Just close your eyes just for, just for privacy, just for a minute. The God who made everything, who made the stars and the planets, and the, the solar systems and probably another universe or two or three or four or five thousand. He made earth. He created us, all the things that are in it. And, and he loves us dearly. He loved Adam and Eve dearly. And they sinned against him. And yet, and yet, even though we are sinners along with Adam and Eve, because we shook our fist at God at one time, he came and he sent his son who stripped himself of everything that was heavenly and he agreed to come to become the sacrifice. He lived out a life but came to, to be the sacrifice for our sin, paid for our sin with his blood, was nailed to a cruel cross and was resurrected again that we might be justified and sit with him one day. Just think, you're going to sit with him one day. You know him this morning? Have you asked him in? Because you're going to be with him one day. You can open your eyes now. You know, it's, it's not the fact that um, somehow, you know, sweet by and by, I'm going to, no, if you know him, you're going to sit with him one day. And it demands more than our attention. It demands our all. It demands our all. Colossians 1, 26 and 27 says, The mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifest to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Huh? <laughs> you know, it's not that he made the stars and the heavens. What speaks to the world is the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. Things in which angels long to look. 
We may at times, you know, think that um, in this series, Empowered, and I'll get back to Empowered in a minute, that somehow it means miracles. It means to heal the sick, to speak in tongues, to walk on water, to raise the dead. Um, empowering actions. Now, those actions should coincide with believers. They should. We, should. we should be in anticipation of praying for people and seeing that happen. I think empower is about that. That's one part of it. But the other part of it is, is this. The, this little the card that Kurt gave out and gives out, about stop and pray, Lord, who do you want me to reach out to as I go out? And it is a good thing to put it in a different place in your house. That way you can, you know, stop before you go out and, and pray. I, I don't think of those miracles that I talked about when I think of empowerment and this. Okay, I, I don't think of that. Although greater works I'm going to do, because Jesus said, because he went to the Father. Christ in me also means that his life is on me so that he can live through me. Look at this particular um, passage. This is in Colossians. Since God chose you, Christ in you, right? Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now just do a heart check right there about, about where you're at with Jesus. Do a heart check right there. Tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Well, someday I will arrive there, Greg. <laughs> if you will pray, if others will pray for me for a good 20 to 30 years, I might get there. I've walked with the Lord 42 years, and you know what? I'm still not there. I'm still not there. Somehow I thought that time would have an effect on that. And it has, but not the effect that I think it should have. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. The guy that cuts you off in traffic, the guy that passed Adam by this morning as he was ratcheting up his car and changing his tire. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive all others also. Do you remember what it was like before you came to the Lord? Remember how awful we were? My dad's here this morning. I don't want him to testify about what I was like before I came to know Jesus. Okay? I, no, dad, no, don't stand up. Okay, thanks. Appreciate that. It's a different kind of testimony. We don't want to hear that. But I could not save myself. Could you save yourself? You know, I don't really care how old you are. Because even at 13 or 14, I knew there was nothing I could do to save myself. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Did we not see that this morning when we were praying for one another? Wow. So it's Christ in me, and it's Christ, because he's the hope of glory, and it's Christ on me when I clothe myself, myself with these things. I guess I'd have a multiple personality if I could clothe myself what if I could raise the dead, but I yell at my family? What if I walk on water, but won't talk to my neighbor because he or she hates Rand Paul, Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton, or Donald Trump? <laughs> Did I cover all the main ones? Main ones? Okay. What if I speak in tongues more than anyone else? And Paul made that claim. Do you remember that in 1 Corinthians? 
I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. Wow, Paul. Ooh. But I speak rudely to a store clerk or a wait person because I'm fill in the blank, impatient, um, <laughs> haven't eaten, you know, my kids are yelling. By the way, Christians should be some of the best witnesses where that's concerned. I saw a guy yelling at someone uh, the other day at Safeway in the deli section, pounding on the deli section, you know, meat counter. It's not what I say. Wow. I tell you what, I wanted to intervene so bad. Not my monkey, not my circus, though. What if, what, um, <laughs> uh, one more, what if I won an award from Jubilee Reach for Volunteer of the Year, but I swore and cussed if anybody asked me to clean up around the house? Have you seen that? <sighs> Is his life in me making a difference in clothing myself and having his life come out of me? What if I could do the impressive, empowered stuff, but my real life is not a reflection of who Jesus is? Maybe I'd do a better, maybe I'd do a better job of imitating the other side rather than the heavenly side. Let me tell you a story about that. You know, my dad could tell you, and I'll tell you what, I was saved dramatically, miraculously. So many things went away in my life because of Jesus. He saved me, and he pulled me out of several situations. And just a few years later, I was talking to a friend. I'm going to call her Mary. I was talking to Mary on the phone because she had fired my kids' reading readiness teacher who was in her 80s. And she worked at that daycare, that reading readiness teacher, and Mary was the head of, the, uh, of that particular preschool. And I got on the phone with Mary, and I ripped her up one side and down the other about, how could you fire this woman? This is her life focus. She is so good. She is a widow. She, and I, I just, I let her, I, maybe we should hire a lawyer and go after you guys. Christian preschool. Her, yeah, her pastor called me right after that. He said, how dare you? I didn't like the guy anyway. And, I, and so I let him have it with the other barrel. I tell you what, I mean, I just, oh, I was so mad. And six months, I, by the way, every person that knew Mary and the pastor, I let them know how terrible they were and what they were doing to this friend of mine who was a widow and had very, you know, she had no visible means of support, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I told everybody how terrible these two people were to fire her. And a mutual friend came to my classroom one day, and she said, hey, I heard all about your situation with Mary, our mutual friend. I said, yeah, let me tell you what happened. And she said, I've heard it several times in the community already, and I'm wondering, what are you doing about this to make it right? Now, who and what side do you think I was representing there? Because it wasn't the godly side. It wasn't the godly side. I called Mary. Oh, I tell you, I had my quiet time the next morning. It was like, I don't, I don't mean condemnation. I just mean, son, you have been so wrong. You have ignored me. You, you, you don't have a place to speak. You wonder why things have not been, you know, like power situations for you and you haven't been able to minister. Let me tell you, son. So I got on my knees and I, 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 and I wrote it all out, what I was going to say to her. I called her on the phone and she said, and I said, hi, Mary, uh, this is Greg, and um, I'm wondering if you forgive me. And I, I read the whole thing out, and there was a silence. And I said, man, I'm hoping you're going to forgive me. And she said, you know, I always thought I was the bigger person than you, and I've done the same thing. Thank you for calling me. Please forgive me. Here, you know, Mary and her husband were friends of ours for years, and, and here I had done just such a disservice to her. 
That's awful. That is not carrying the presence of Jesus. It's not. I was so, I was so ashamed that I did that. I watched a clip a few weeks ago, shift, shifting gears a little bit here. I, I watched a clip a few, few weeks ago about um, the correspondence dinner of two or three years ago. Steven Spielberg was there and um, President Obama was there and several others. And there was a video that was shown that caught my attention. It's, it's kind of funny. I think you'll like it. It's kind of funny. I think you'll like it. <laughs> well, I was thrilled that Lincoln was a success. And as I was thinking about what to do next, uh, it, it, in the it's middle of the night, I woke up and it hit me. Today. I can offer you no Obama. In I mean, the guy's already a lame duck, so why wait? <laughs> Picking the right actor to play Obama that was the challenge. I mean, who is Obama really? We don't know. We never got his transcripts, and uh, they say he's kind of aloof. So I needed someone who could dive in and really become Barack Obama. And as it turns out, the answer was right in front of me all along. Daniel Day-Lewis. He becomes his characters. Hawkeye from Last of the Mohicans, and Bill the Butcher from Gangs of New York, and Abraham Lincoln in Lincoln. And you know what? He nailed it. Was it hard playing Obama? I'll be honest, yeah, it was. This accent took a while. Hello, Ohio. Hello, Ohio. I love you back. Look, look, let me be clear about this. The cosmetics were challenging. I mean, you wouldn't believe how long it takes to put these ears on in the morning. <laughs> I don't know how he walks around with these things. But once we had Daniel to play Obama, we had to cast the rest of his team. And I think we've got some pretty terrific performances. Working with a legend like Daniel is intimidating. But he makes everyone better. You know, without him, I never could have played Joe Biden. <laughs> Literally. Hi, I'm Joe Biden. The hardest part, trying to understand his motivations. You know, why did he pursue healthcare first? What makes him tick? Why doesn't he get mad? If I were him, I'd be mad all the time. <laughs> but I'm not him. I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. Regardless of what you think about President Obama, he's a pretty good sport, don't you think, for, for doing that, for the correspondence dinner? Daniel Day-Lewis gets so immersed. My, my point here is that Daniel Day-Lewis gets so immersed in these characters that he doesn't um, just play them. He wants to think like them, talk like them, respond like them, absorb them, ponder them, ruminate upon them. He knows, he lives, he becomes that character. It's not a caricature. It's not channeling. Daniel Day-Lewis wants to be that person. He wants to make the impression upon you that he is that person. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, Last of the Mohicans, he spent, I think, about three weeks in the wilderness living off the land before they shot it. Uh, he was Lincoln on the set regardless of whether they were shooting that day or not. He was Lincoln. He was dressed that way. He wanted to be addressed as Mr. Lincoln. He wanted to think like Lincoln. He wanted to respond like Lincoln would no matter who was talking to him. Um, I want to play some, some clips for you about Daniel Day-Lewis. By the way, a three-time Academy Award winner, Oscar winner uh, for um, Best Actor. Here's a montage of some things that he's done. 
Thanks to uh, Josh Morris, by the way, for this. Would Magua use the ways of Le Francais and the Yengis? Would you? Yes! Would the Huron make his Algonquin brothers foolish with brandy and steal his lands to sell them for gold to the white man? Would Huron have greed for more land than a man can use? Boy, this one is something else. Like who does that we know not of? This conscience doesn't make cowards of us all. And thus, the yeah. native hue. And thus, the native hue of resolution is sickly down with the pale cast of thought. And the enterprise is a great pitch in the moment with this in regard to occurrence, time, or I lose the name of action. <laughs> uh, what do you think about Hamlet, Christie? Cripple. Contact him. Well, he did in the end. Too late. You have abandoned your child. I have abandoned my child. I will never backslide. I will never backslide. I was lost, but now I am found. I was lost, but now I'm found. I have abandoned my child. Well, when I see them, when I see them, I want to... I punch a hole through the walls. I set fire to them. So, so. Are you the man in charge? Yes, I am. For fuck's sake, help me stop hurting me. I swear to God, I... I know where I was at the time of the bombings. If you please, mister. No, no, you have seen me sign it. You have no need of this. Proctor, the village must have proof. Damn the village! Is there no good penitence but it be public? God does not need my name nailed to the church. God knows how black my sins are. Now look, you proper. How may I teach my sons to walk like men in the world and I sold my friends? You have not sold your... I blacken all of them when I nail this to the church and they have hanged for silence. I must have good and legal proof that you have confessed your witchcraft, Proctor. You are the high court. Your word is good enough. <laughs> he... Uh, this is not an homage to <laughs> Daniel D. Lewis, by the way. But he so captured my attention. Maureen uh, saw my left foot and she thought, how did they get someone with cerebral palsy to do that, to act? Not realizing who Daniel Day-Lewis was. Let's play the last one where he's uh, speaking to the BBC about finding Lincoln's voice. Now, Daniel Day-Lewis could be on course to make history. He has been nominated for his third Oscar for Best Actor for his portrayal of Abraham Lincoln, the revered president who ended the Civil War and slavery in America. If he wins next month, he will be the first man to win that award three times. He's very selective about the roles he takes on, and he's impossible to typecast with films as varied as My Beautiful Laundrette, Last of the Mohicans, and My Left Foot. While it took the director, Steven Spielberg, many, many years to persuade him to play Lincoln, so when I interviewed Daniel Day-Lewis recently from Paris, I began by asking him why, after two refusals, he finally said yes. I ran out of excuses. <laughs> uh, I just, I looked at it and I thought, that's a really great job for somebody else um, but it's something to do with the passage of time and and um, uh, at some point I felt that I felt that irresistible 
um, almost as if one's being drawn into the orbit of another life, uh, almost a physical sensation, um, which is, uh, that's usually the warning sign um, for me. A lot has been made about his voice. Now, you came up with that, didn't you? You, you worked hard, you, you produced the voice that you then sent to Steven Spielberg and he got it on a cassette. And some people have said it was startling when they first heard it. His voice was, was folksy, it was, it was high. How did you come up with that voice? Very few people that met him didn't make some documented commentary about it because he was such an extraordinary figure. And um, it, many people uh, mentioned uh, the quality of his voice really only just to say that it was surprisingly high-pitched. Um, I suppose because of a man of his size and his stature, you would expect him to have a, a rich baritone, and he didn't. Um, so that's a clue. I mean, it's not a very instructive one, but at least it's a clue. Um, but at a given moment, if I'm lucky... Um, as I begin to grow towards an understanding, I, I, I begin to hear a voice. I'm, I'm, I'm listening for it, and I begin to hear a voice, which I don't try to reproduce. It's uh, the voice of the, of the inner ear, I suppose. And then, if I live with that for a while and it pleases me, then I set about the task of trying to, uh, to get it outside of myself and reproduce it. Euclid's first common notion is this. Things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. That's a rule of mathematical reasoning. It's true because it works. Has done and always will do. In his book, hmm, Euclid says this is self-evident. It is a self-evident truth that things which are equal to the same thing are equal to each other. And once you've found his voice, the hardest thing, I guess, must be to just to keep hold of it. Is it, is it true that you, you did stay in character for the whole filming? Were you Lincoln throughout the filming? Well, I don't know what I was. I was something. <laughs> Not entirely myself. <laughs> um, Whenever I, or I, I always feel like I'm digging my own grave when I talk about this because uh, the, you know the dangers are so uh, numerous. You know, sounding either self-important or, or um, uh, you know, creating some, you know, adding to the to the already uh, fairly um, comprehensive uh, impression that people seem to have that I'm just very strange when um, I go to work, but it, it makes complete sense to me the way I work. You obviously stay in character. I know other people you've worked with. Steven Spielberg says that you, you, know, you talk to him as Lincoln. It must be draining for you emotionally to be that character, to be somebody else for all that time. Well, part of my job is to be drained. To me, it's, uh, you, I could almost say it's logical for me to remain within that world but beyond it being logical, it's my pleasure because that's where the work is. Yeah. You're not discovering anything when you're having a cup of tea and, having, and, and a laugh with the grips, as tempting as that would be, because there's lots of great people on the film set. And I wore myself out. I, I, first couple of movies I, I got involved with, the thing that really drained me was all the <laughs> socializing on the set. 
Do you see the parallel? I am, I'm stunned. I know he's an actor. I get that. But for us, what kind of a picture of Jesus are we giving to those who don't know him? Because if you see the movie, the movies he has made, it makes a lasting impression upon you. Jesus told us to follow him, to pick up our cross, to be like him, and to lift him up. The early church, flawed as it was, seemed to have a great grasp on this. People came to Christ, individuals, scores of people at one time, hundreds of people at one time, thousands of people at one time, whole communities at one time. At least in the USA at right now, it seems that there may be, that the gospel is diluted. It's cultural, it's watered down. Where is the disconnect? For Christians to live the life, the kind of life, because it's not our job, it's who we are. Colossians 3 says that our life is found in Jesus. And when he's revealed, one day when he is revealed, we will be revealed with him in glory because he is our life. It's not an acting job. He's supposed to be living through us. What has happened to the church? And I'm talking to myself here as well. What has happened to he must increase and I must decrease. What's happened to that? What's happened to the idea that uh, Francis Chan talked about he was going to sell his house and move to a, a trailer park, right? What, what's happened to, to the church that we think that succeeding means that we have arrived as a Christian? Now, I'm not speaking against riches. That's not my point. You're missing it if you think that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that just like we heard about, you know, uh, the Financial Peace University, that somehow the world tells us things and we kind of mix it together. When Daniel Day-Lewis is after a part, he doesn't mix things together, I don't think, very well. To stay in character for that whole time. What if we stayed in character, in the character of Jesus throughout the day? Boy, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be different? There's problems with that, though. Some of the people would with whom I have served in churches and parachurch organizations over the years, have had some of the worst reputations in their communities in which they serve as a pastor or a leader. I'm not talking about us ordinary Joes, even though us ordinary Joes need to have the same kind of a testimony in the community as well. I'm talking about high-profile pastors, leaders, workers, etc. They may preach and lead others and do things in the church that seem empowered, but in public with their family and with their teams, they have little of the empowerment they, that they speak of in public meetings. Sometimes I've been that person. I ripped a good friend of mine one time on the, on the baseball field after a call he made as an umpire. He wrote me a letter later. He said, I'll never again step on a field or a court where you're a coach. Our friendship, as far as I am concerned, is severed because of your testimony. Lack of it. I called both teams together and repented. I tell you, my life seems like at times one repentance session after another. Remember the guys in the church that I first went to? I'd go to the altar almost every Sunday and say, okay, what is it this time? As an aside, it's curious to me that when Jesus healed the demoniac of Luke 9, after the demoniac was delivered by, legion of, by a legion of demons, oh my gosh, he wanted to go with Jesus and his disciples to go out with him. And yet Jesus told him to go home and tell them what the Lord had done for him. 
I think that some of us simply need to go home after we're saved and live out the gospel there before we do anything public. Selah. Think about that. After I was saved, I lived at home for three years. I remember this one time church membership came up. I was newly saved. And I wanted to go to the meeting. It was a few months as a new Christian. I wanted to go to the meeting to be a member of that church. And my dad said, that car has sat down at the gas station long enough. You're going to help me today move that car of yours. We're going to get it fixed. We're going to move it home. You're not going, hey, you realize how old I am? I'm going to the church meeting with all my friends. No, you're not. I was in a home. He said, you're going to help me with that car. And you know, in the pouring rain for two hours, we worked on that car. And we never got it fixed, but we had a great time of fellowship. <laughs> it was really good. But see, at home, I learned a lot of things that I wouldn't have learned otherwise. How's home? I, re I want to revive a saying that's fallen on hard times. What would Jesus do? But I want to take it deeper. How would Jesus live? How would Jesus live? Don't forget, he, he lived in unbroken fellowship with the Father. He lived it. He lived the Father's will. He lived the Father's way. And he shared the Father's wonder. Did you like that three W's in there like that? That's why Jesus taught us to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but it's really our prayer. It's really our prayer to the Father. Have you ever been in the middle of a really tough situation, kind of more than you can handle? in a heated argument or you're really upset about something and you have a moment of clarity and you think to yourself, I can't act this way. It's not really who I am as a Christian. For most of us, it doesn't come to us till later and we're so upset with ourselves or we blame the other person for this thing happening or we may acknowledge some of the blame but we want to blame others as well. Maybe we blame not eating or not sleeping and the truth is we didn't live the truth that's already within us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we can't be perfect, and I know a moment can come by again, and I know that God has grace for that. I know his blood covers that sin. But how many times will we not live it out when it's already in? Paul said to walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the desire of the flesh. I love that part about finding Lincoln's voice. Have you found God's voice in the middle of your trouble? Have you found his voice in the middle of your trouble? Because Jesus promised us. This is a promise that most Christians don't claim. In this world, you'll have tribulation. <laughs> we don't claim that one too much, but it's right there in the word. In this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And see, he lives in us. So we're overcomers, and we may not feel like it, and it may not look like it. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Have you found God's voice? Let me show you uh, Galatians 5 out of the Amplified. I use the Amplified because I have a hearing problem. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and the desires of the flesh of human nature without God. Wow. Walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit. Are we playing a role, or are we living out the life of Jesus? 
We're his children, we're his disciples, we're his followers, we're his sons and daughters, we're his servants. How do others see you? Who are you known as at work, in your neighborhood, but especially in your family? When we become frustrated, angry, moody, and lash out at others, do we say, now this is who I am and other people better get used to that? Well, I told that to a friend of mine. I said, that's the way I am. And he said, I have a word from you from the Lord. And I said, what's that? And he said, repent. <laughs> Did you have to pray for a long time to get that? Did you have to fast to get that? Paul says in Corinthians and Ephesians, and the, and the author of the book of Hebrews says this, don't be children, grow up in the Lord. We're still supposed to be children, but we're not supposed to be childish. It'd look really weird if we were 21, 22, 42, 61 years old and walking around with a diaper on. Well, that's another story. But anyway, it says don't be children. How do we grow? Greg, tell me how to grow in this and I'll do it. I don't know for you. See, this is what's so great about the Holy Spirit. This is why we come to church is to relate and to connect and to hear somebody's story and somebody else's story and connect what, what they're going through to what I'm going through and, and so forth and so on. But individually, God will lead you where this is concerned. But you've got to take the time to do it. And quite frankly, spouses, you have to afford your spouse the time to do it. I'll tell you what, I, I got a wife in a, a billion. That means there's only, what, three others, maybe you know, two others like her in the whole world. She is a living, breathing example. She is an epistle. She really is. People that know her say the same thing about Maureen. She is a living, breathing epistle. No, she's not perfect. She's pretty close, especially when you compare her to me. Okay? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians um, 3, verse 3. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. It's in there. It's like Prego. It's in there, okay? He's in there. It's written right here, and it's ready. He has made you ready by the Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter says. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, uh-oh, and you must follow in his steps. Are you having a hard time and you've done nothing to earn it? That's okay. You're in good company, okay? I'm not saying man up or cowboy up or anything like that. I'm saying ask God what your response should be because he loves you and he cares for you and he exactly knows where you're at right now in this very second, he knows. When you're young in the Lord, it seems like there's nothing impossible because of God's power in your life. That's it. That first work, that first love, don't you love it? He does it to show that his word is life, his word, his promises are all true, and from there we're supposed to grow up. That doesn't mean those things don't happen anymore, but it just means we're to grow up. Empowerment is a master's level course. Curtis said it a number of times, and the different people that have been up here to preach, I'll tell you what, it is a master's level course. Empowerment, how do we do this? But it's not being more holy or more righteous. Jesus accomplished all of that. You don't have to be more holy. You don't have to be more righteous. But he's calling you to live it out. He's calling me to live it out. What's inside of me, he wants out of me so that other people will be able to see that. 
You can't skip that part. How well do you know his word? When I was a young Christian, I didn't like it when Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses would confront me, and I'd always think, they'd tell me stuff, and I'd go, is that in the Bible? You know? Is that in the Bible? I'm not talking about according to their Bible. I'm talking about they knew Scripture so well that I thought, in order to talk to them or at least communicate with them or make some sort of connection, I have to know my Bible as well. And to be able to minister to people every day, you and I need to know our Bible so we can give them, not necessarily, oh, they give me this scripture. They may not understand that, but you can say it in plain English so that they can be comforted and encouraged by your presence. Because that's the life of Jesus in us. It's not us. You couldn't heal an ant if you wanted to. <laughs> you can't. But the life of Jesus is dynamic inside of you. That's why we call it empowered. It's not of this world. It's not. It's of his world, not ours. How well do you know your Bible? How's your prayer life? Well, I can read my Bible, but I don't pray very much. This would be a great start. How are you relating to other Christians? How is your thinking process about your life in the name of Jesus? How's your fellowship level with other people? Are you serving like he did? His voice is right there. Do you know it? We have so many resources available to us. Number one, the Holy Spirit is in us, but past that we have his word. You can get it on your phone. First time I saw somebody using a phone in a church service, I thought, get off your phone, man. He was reading from the Bible <laughs> on the app. <laughs> Look at your phone for. We have so many resources available to us. But developing the character of Jesus, the life of Jesus, according to what the Father has given us by the power of the Spirit. You might say this, I can't do that. It's beyond me. I don't even know where to start with this, Greg. I've had students do that to me, too. Well, I've talked to them, you know, because I've been in Christian school for 35 years. And, you know, kids will say, where do I start? And, I, you know, I've shared different stuff with them. Let me give you a starting point. Brother Lawrence was a monk who lived in France in the 1600s. Anybody ever heard of Brother Lawrence? Wow. He was a monk who decided he would live in the presence of God no matter what he was doing. And he was assigned to kitchen duty. He scrubbed the floors, he cooked in the kitchen, and all of these he considered acts of worship to God. How he did it attracted other monks to join him in thinking that they would find God if they scrubbed the kitchen floor. <laughs> if they swept the abbey. His, there's this uh, quote about Brother Lawrence from his, uh, his boss, the abbot. Brother Lawrence had the habit of developing an unbroken conversation with God without artificiality. Wow. Brother Lawrence said this, Common business, no matter how mundane or routine, is the medium of God's love. Are you kidding me? Washing the dishes? Vacuuming the, the, the rug? Cleaning the bathtubs and the toilet? Cleaning the windows? Are you? Yeah. Well, I do great things for God like Billy Graham. You're not Billy Graham. You're not even Kurt Brunk. Okay, thank you. Thank you, God. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Uncle Kurt. The issue is not the sacredness of, or worldly status of the task, 
but the motivation behind it. Nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. Driving down the street, you pray for folks? I'm not saying I do this every day. I'm not saying, oh boy, yeah, shine up my halo. No! There's plenty of things I can fall short. Please, Maureen, don't say anything. Thank you on the worship steering team. Don't say anything, okay? Because I failed these things too, but these are things I began to see in these last few weeks. Believe it or not, from that one hilarious video, is that, is my life been traded for Christ? Wow, has my life been traded for Christ? Nor is it needful, I know I said this already, nor is it needful that we should have great things to do. We can do little things for God. Man, Lawrence simplified his walk with God. He remembered that he was always in his presence. God says he will never leave us or forsake us. David said, whom shall I fear? Jesus stated, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Reflecting on what Daniel Day-Lewis said about being the character, of course it's draining, but it's also fulfilling. Let me just <laughs> redeem myself a little bit and tell you a story about somebody with cerebral palsy. In 1989, I went to, in 1988, I went to a, a, a great big convention. Mike Hatch uh, mentioned this, uh, Basic Youth. I took my senior class, of which there was 15 or 16 kids. I took them to Basic Youth Complex at the Coliseum in Seattle. And on Saturday, there was a two-hour lunch break. I said, you guys can go ahead and go where you want to. I'll meet you back here at the seats in two hours. So I did a few things, and I went downstairs to where the lunch line was at the Coliseum, key arena. And I decided I'd eat lunch there. And I kept, I was in line and I kept feeling somebody ram, not ram, but at least, you know, hit the back of my leg. And I kept thinking it was, the line was too big or whatever. And, you know, people were talking. And finally I turned around because, boy, the last one really hurt. And I turned around, I was a guy in a wheelchair. And he had cerebral palsy. And he couldn't talk very well and he couldn't communicate very well. And he drooled down the side of his mouth and he had a tray in front of him. Um, it looked to me like it was a Ouija board, but it was, it was the alphabet, and it was numbers, and he was trying to communicate to me this, that would I have lunch with him? Now, he didn't ask me to buy his lunch, but I bought his lunch. I wheeled him over. I sat at the table, and see, I, I had a friend who, who was severely disabled in college, but that never bothered me, and the way I looked at that, that friend I had in college was like he never had a disability. I began to realize I treated this guy the same way. And we had a great conversation. We had labs together. We, 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 we talked about church people, you know, and problems that we had in church. And we talked about the Bible. And we talked about the seminar that we were at. And, you know, it was just, it was a great exchange. I don't know how much we really shared within that hour or hour and some. But I realized this, there's not a disability here. Remember what, Christ said, what Paul said, that there was no divisions in the body of Christ? He said there's no Greek and Jew and so forth. Really and truly, there was true fellowship between this guy and I. And at the end, when I wheeled him out and I told him I was going to go back to where I was because there was another gentleman waiting for me to help chaperone, I told him I was going to go back to where I was. I knelt down and, and I, I, I prayed with him as I held him. I prayed with him and in Jesus' name and we were done. And I looked up on the next level and here are all my kids from the class I took, the senior class, here are all my kids watching me. I went back to my seat, and as they all came back, the one, one kid who I was especially close to and who is now in radio, sports radio and on Seattle uh, radio, he came to me, he sat down to me, and he said, Mr. Thatcher, that's the best devotional you ever gave. 
I don't want you to, I, that has nothing to do with patting myself on the back or gee whiz, he went out of his way. No, there's a brother in Christ. For some reason, he was left by himself and you know what? He wants somebody to talk to. Hey, let's go. Let's go. That's, that's what that means. I didn't think this as like, oh boy, this is going to be tough. Oh man, this, no, I just stepped into it. Don't ask me how, Holy Spirit. I know, I know, it's the Holy Spirit. I stepped into it, it was great. So in the middle of your sorrow, your joy, your in-between place, your failings, your, the life with your spouse, your illness, with your kids, with your grandkids, with your studies, with your teachers, with your grades, God's right there because he's in you. He's right there. He's in you. Not only that, but if you talk yourself into the myth that you cannot make a difference, that it doesn't really matter what you do, have you talked yourself in? I've done it plenty of times. It does make a difference. The Holy Spirit is God, and God makes a difference wherever you have been planted, whether it's something big, big corporation, or if it's something small, working in a cubicle. You make a difference. He's there with you. How do we make application? Well, we search the scriptures. Let me ask you a few questions. Is our life with God a series of episodic events? This happens. And then there's some space, and then this happens. And then this happens. And either he's to blame, because something went wrong or something went right, or I'm to blame, or somebody else is to blame, and time goes by, and then we have something else, another crisis comes up, and we want, to, want God to do something about it, and so we come to him, and we haven't talked to him for a few months or weeks. Is it like a movie thing, like with Daniel Day-Lewis, like a movie's coming up, so we're going to study for it. No, see, this is life. It's every day. It's 24-7. It's 365 and for some of us, we think we have more, to, more life to live than others. And the truth is, like Francis Chan said, the next breath is a gift from God. Or is ours an unbroken daily walk of connection with him? Selah. In the middle of everything, I can't go deep with God, Greg. I can't spend time with him. Daniel Day-Lewis gets paid for doing that stuff. But what you and I are living out every day is far more important. There's far more things at stake than doing a movie and being remembered to do a movie. We're not actors. I'm not talking about acting. But certainly you and I can dig the trenches and God can pour the concrete. By faith, I'm going to dig that trench and I'm going to be more like him and God will fill it. God will fill it. This is real life. We are to grow into the one who saved us from our frightful selves. I'm going to ask Pam and the team to come up. I want us to take a couple minutes this morning to examine our lives before we have communion. I want to talk about Christ in us. I want you to think about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make sure that's intact. If you have any question about that, you can ask him in right now. If you've made a shambles of it and you want to come back to him, you can ask him right now, and he'll come in.
because he loves you. And there's great grace and there's great mercy for that. And then let's ask Jesus by his Holy Spirit to direct us to where we have lived his life and it's made a difference. And then let's ask him, Lord, where is it that I might be falling short? Where is it that I have a habitual problem? You know, Hebrews talks about, you know, the besetting sin, to, to put it aside. You know, to put it aside. It so easily hinders us and run the race that's set before us. You know, spouses, this morning, I'm telling you that our testimony in our home means so much. It, it does. And whether it's leadership or whether it's, it's non-leadership, no more public successes and private failures. No more public, oh, I can pray a good prayer in church. But you get into it with your spouse at home. You know, I have a great youth group, you know, here at Lake Sam, but at school, I just can't do it. You know, I don't know what the situation is, but home is so important. That locale is so important. After a few minutes, uh, Pam, with Pam playing, Pam, I'd just like you to quietly begin to sing. And I'd like you to respond to that. And right after that, we'll have communion. It's not going to be very long. But let's have, just like we had this morning, let's have some examination about where we're at. Him in us. And us putting him on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and giving his life to the world.